Welcome to Interviews. My name is Laurent Autain. I'm a business coach on a quest to crack the entrepreneurship code. So I thought, why not talk to entrepreneurs and ask them the right questions? I make sure to alternate between a male and a female guest every week. I hope their answers will inspire you. This podcast is available on all your favorite platforms. If you enjoy it, there are three ways you can help me make it bigger. One, subscribe. Two, share your favorite episode on social media. Three, buy me a pizza. Blog on my website, laurentnotin.com slash podcast and click on the icon, buy me a pizza. Interviews is brought to you by Social Prize, a marketing and communication agency managed by a highly qualified team and operating remotely since 2005. Social Prize specializes in digital technologies and communications, web development, e-commerce, remote working, coaching, training, growth hacking, and much more. Find out more about them on their website www.socialprize.me. Hi, thank you for joining interviews. Today, I am with a British in Finland. My guest is Joel Williams, the co-founder and creative director of Ink Tank Media, a digital marketing agency that delights in creating amazing stories. Joel is also the author of three books, including the bestseller, 101 Very Finnish Problems, A Foreigner's Guide to Surviving in Finland. Hey, Joel, thank you very much for joining me today. Well, thank you very much for having me. And thank you very much for such a glorious intro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here blushing. Good, good. I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> done. You can introduce me everywhere I go. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your journey. That's a great question. Yeah, well, I mean, my journey is both for like uh, metaphorical and real in the sense that my original, I won't go all the, way, all the way back to the day I was born, but originally when I first, my career journey started, I studied history at a university in London, and uh, I'm very much a child of Thatcher's Britain, so when I was a kid, people would say to me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'd be like, I want to be a millionaire, obviously. <laughs> Thank you, Margaret Thatcher, for crushing young children's dreams. And uh, yeah, so I was brought up in the 80s where, you know, greed was good. And uh, I went to university and studied history just by virtue of the fact I loved history with no real, no real sort of career. I wasn't really thinking very far ahead. And um, after I graduated, I, I moved to Canada, I lived in Vancouver for a year, sort of like I did various sort of like market research or just odd jobs, worked in cafeterias, um, did some market research stuff. And then I came back to the UK and I traveled around the States after that. I came back to the UK and I had no money, totally broke. Came back to London and a mate of mine was working in ad sales. And he's like, Joe, you should work in ad sales, easy money and you can talk. So you, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be laughing. So I, yeah, I joined, um, I got recruited quite quickly, joined an agent, um, a recruitment agency. They placed me in about three days. And I joined this company called Hobson's Publishing, which is part of the Daily Mail group. Um, mm. a, a Daily Mail is a paper I despise, <laughs> but <laughs> at the time I was like uh, less politically uh, savvy. So I joined this publisher. It was a publisher that basically involved um, selling magazine, uh, had a, a, Ad, um, magazines for universities and so it was like for, it was my clients were professors basically mm. so I'd go to various different universities and pitch ad space in these magazines and I did that I, 
it was quite a hardcore job in the sense that uh, if you were if you were if you did well you were well rewarded with commission and taken to fancy restaurants in like london uh, and hailed as being like a sales superhero. If you did badly, you got to go. Or you got to uh, go and clean out the store cupboard, or, or basically <laughs> just like publicly humiliated. So a lot of people couldn't handle it. Um, I lost a year, uh, and then I moved to a more respectable publisher called VNU, which was a Dutch publisher. And at the time, it was the largest Dutch publisher. It was the largest IT publisher in Europe. And I would then became like sales manager of a couple of magazines. Mm. Um, it was like the internet when the internet first kicked off. There's loads of money about. And basically, my, my job involved taking my clients to swanky restaurants in Soho, whining and dining them and getting as much of their marketing budget as possible. And I was like shooting up the ranks. I was loving that. I was very corporate, actually. I had no, I had no sort of like aspirations to be entrepreneurial whatsoever. Although you could say sales by its very nature is mm. entrepreneurial. And I was managing two magazines. I had a sales team of about seven. And so I was in charge of the revenue of both those magazines. So to an extent, it was like running your own business. And that was going brilliantly. And I was like flying up the ranks. I was like the younger sales manager. Um, I was on this, this like uh, MBA course where I got, used to get sent to this castle in Arnhem in Holland with all the other sort of high flyers from the various different publishing companies around Europe. I had a great laugh. And then uh, I met a Finnish girl Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and yeah and things changed quite dramatically I mean for for a while we were living together in London Uh, she got a job at an ad agency uh, with a friend of mine who'd moved there from the company I was working with but then increasingly we got like a little bit disillusioned with that whole world Um, and we decided to just resign and go on this around the world trip so I knocked this career on the head. And when I resigned, my boss was like, what are you doing? You're such an mm. idiot. You had the whole, yeah, it was all lined up for you. You were like going, you could have been a publisher, but like within the next couple of years, which is what something I always wanted to do. And a publisher in that sense was like someone who had control of all the, um, all the magazines in that particular particular section. So in all our magazines were the best magazines on the market. It was, it was, things were going well, but I thought, no, I'm going to make this change. So we went on this round the world trip uh, Southeast Asia, Australasia, South America. Um, and after a year of that, my whole world worldview and my, you know, perception of how I wanted to live my life just very dramatically changed. Um, and so I arrived back in the UK in July, the following year, had followed the sun around the world. And I arrived specifically, uh, I planned to come back to London in July, so it would be the English summertime. Mm. And I arrived in Heathrow, Battleship Grey, drizzling, not a certain the sun nowhere in sight. And I'm like, oh man, let's go to Finland to carry on our adventure. And we get to Finland, it's like the hottest summer in like 300 years. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Let's stay here. Because I mean, Finland in the summer. It's such an amazing, I mean, you know what it's like. I mean, yeah. if it delivers, the sun never goes down hardly. The quality of the light, the quality of the sunshine, the blueness, the way people are, it's like a totally different country. So I sort of fell in love with Finnish summertime and actually decided to move here with my Finnish girlfriend, now wife, as a result of the weather, which is it's not something you hear very often. No. So <laughs> whilst I've been traveling, I'd also been writing. Um, so I've got like a postgrad from the London School of Journalism in creative writing. 
And I decided that rather than going back to be like doing sort of media sales, I would become an author. <laughs> that was my, right. That was my that was my plan. And um, I said to my like girlfriend, "Don't worry, I will support us through short stories." <laughs> and I soon discovered that wasn't really, really, really possible by virtue of that. <laughs> You get, might get paid £30 for a short story and it might take six months for them to say yes or no. Mm. So it's not a very lucrative business. Um, but then she got an, a job with an ad agency, Second Grey, who were, who were looking after Nokia. And um, then I, as a result of her being in the ad agency, got the opportunity to do freelance copywriting for Nokia. And right. that started me on my like freelancer journey, which was the first stage of the entrepreneurial journey. Um, and I soon realized that like, it was wonderful to be able to um, be my own boss in effect and mm. be in charge of getting the projects. Um, and just like, you know, just having, having the opportunity to do what I want rather than be told what I want to do. And so from there, I then carried on working as a freelancer for various different ad agencies. Then I worked for an, an ad agency as copywriter for a few years. And then um, I left and launched Ink Tank Media, which was about seven years ago, uh, on the basis of a contract I got with Nokia, which basically involved us doing, by the end, about 70 blog posts a month, running six blogs, doing loads of stories. 95% of our business was Nokia. I didn't even bother getting any other clients. I was like, why bother? They're the biggest smartphone manufacturer in the world. Little did I know, <laughs> a classic example of putting all your eggs in one basket. And yeah, as soon as they got bought by Microsoft, things started going a little bit downhill. Um, and uh, yeah, and then basically then Microsoft went sort of, at Microsoft, and then we started working with not Microsoft uh, for a while, and then they killed the phone business and that almost killed my business. Right. So, yeah. But then subsequently all the people who worked for Nokia went to work for loads of other cool Finnish companies. So like Rovio, Fiskars, Itala, like Rayma, all these various different, and we got clients from them. So whew, that's a massive answer. <laughs> I'm actually almost out of breath. From <laughs> but it's a, it's a very interesting uh, story, especially the part where you become an entrepreneur, you got this one client and then you're nearly bankrupt, but people who used to work, who you used to work with come back to you. And give yeah. you more work. Yeah, well, basically, I mean, I sort of, I mean, the thing, I think for Finland in general, even though, you know, I loved working with Nokia and it was really fun. I did load, they had, first of all, they had loads of massive marketing budgets to do what they wanted. And secondly, the stuff they wanted to do was cool. And they were always up for really creative ideas. And they were very much ahead of their time in terms of content marketing. Uh, and also on top of that, they also had a very engaged and very loyal community. And even now, there are still people talking about, you know, people still passionate about Nokia and they still hark back with great nostalgia to those times. They, they probably had one of the first, like, really passionate online uh, communities around the tech. I mean, Apple have got it now, but the, at the time it was less so. So, and they were, they were a pleasure to do stuff for. You could literally, like, suggest all sorts of ideas and they were up for a lot of creative stuff and they were very much on board with that. So, but then all the people we worked with, when Nokia, like, you know, got took, taken over by Microsoft and then they cut sack loads of people they themselves then took those that enthusiasm those the things they learned Nokia and went to other companies and yeah it was a great opportunity for those other companies to get some real good talent I think and for us as a company it meant that we end up doing all the stuff we've done with Nokia and all the expertise and skills and things we'd learned we could share with a wider variety of different companies so I think our reputation of things we did 
I mean, even to, literally today, actually, I got a mail from someone who was at Nokia uh, on LinkedIn saying, oh, I don't know if you remember, we used to do stuff at Nokia. Can you help us out? So, you know, almost seven years later, I'm still getting, getting wow. that reputation. Well, it, does, it does a lot about building strong relationships. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and in Finland, I mean, it's just a small country and it's like, I mean, that works is a both good and a bad thing. It's good if you can get in that network. It's bad if you can't. So, mm. And how's the business doing today? Uh, today at the moment, well, dramatically swung from being more, well, we're all, we're all um, working from home, obviously. Mm. <laughs> so one of the worst things that happened for us in terms of COVID was the fact that uh, we, we had our best year ever in 2019. And then as a result of that, we decided to get a new office, a uh, bigger office by the sea in Orlina and right. uh, in furnish it and make it all fancy and nice. And we did that in January. Well, I think we first moved in on February the 1st, 2020. And we were in there for about six weeks. And subsequently, we've not been really been back since. So that's proven to be one of the worst investments <laughs> I've ever made. And our, our housing company, I hope they're listening. Thank you for being totally inflexible. And not <laughs> any love whatsoever on the rent. Um, so, yeah, we've basically had to downsize and refocus our stuff on some. We've refocused. Uh, on doing more digital. I mean, we are a digital agency anyway. So, and we used to work, actually, ironically, we used to work out of the office for about three days a week anyway. And it was only the last sort of six months before COVID that I thought, yeah, let's get us in one place more regularly. Mm. So we've, we've become a lot more consultant-focused consultant and less production-focused, really, just by virtue of the fact a lot of stuff we do with videos, video campaigns, especially with very finished problems as well. Uh, and that would involve me going out or us going out, meeting people, video people doing, you know, and that's not really possible. So in some ways it's been good because it's allowed us to focus more on the consultancy stuff. In some ways it's been bad because the stuff, the production stuff has gone down. So yeah, the business is quite dramatically different actually than it was a year ago. Okay. And where do you think it's going to take you? Well, for me personally, it's been quite interesting because, um, I realized that, you know, there's a lot, we've got a lot of expertise, like, you know, I've been doing this for like over 20 years now, which, you know, makes me feel quite old, but also makes me realize that I've got like, you know, lots of stuff, learned mm. lots of stuff, done lots of stuff that's quite unique. And I've realized that in the past, our, our, our business was a lot more production focused in the sense that we would come up with ideas and then we would produce them. But I realized a lot of the value that we have is actually coming up with the creative concepts and the consultancy stuff. So I think we're going to be going more in that direction and less in just churning out content, which right. people can, there are people, you know, many people who can churn out content, but a lot less people who can come up with a creative concept in the first place. Uh, to decide what content to create. So let's talk social media because that's that's your thing, right? So like you said, you created a very finished problem, which I think has like something like 500,000 fans. It's now up to 700,000. Sorry, 700,000 right. fans. Right. I combine on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, right? And now TikTok as well, yeah. Facebook, right. uh, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. So yeah, it's on five different channels. So we're almost right. up to 700,000. My aim is to try and get it up to a million by the end of this year. Well, this is, this is absolutely a fantastic success. So, you know, a little thing of two about social media, I would say. <laughs> and, you know, when I look at social media today, and I'm an old guy, 
you know, I'm 45, so I was not born with social media, but there's a lot of content, like, like so much content that it's very difficult to be seen and get your message across, right? I feel like even though your content is good, it can be hidden by the amount of bad stuff, not to say crap, that, that there is out, out there. So my first question is how can entrepreneurs like myself, how can we be seen today? How can we, you know, spread our messages across? Can you share with us some very practical tips? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Strange enough, whenever I get interviewed on podcasts, people always ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Podcasts are saying, how can I make people see my podcast? I think, uh, like, I mean, it's really interesting. It's one of the, typically in the past, it's very much, if you want to get organic reach, organic reach is getting increasingly more difficult. And, you know, mm. when I launched Very Fish Problems, uh, which is what, four years ago, it was quite easy if you knew what you were doing to get organic reach and grow a page. Uh, but every year, I mean, you know, people are more familiar, more aware of this now. They're less naive about Facebook, for example, than they were. Facebook is basically an advertising business and all they mm. care about is you spending as much time on there as possible to uh, click their ads and now watch their ads in the videos, they, the ads they put in their, their videos. And the newsfeed is increasingly crowded uh, so they don't, you know, they, there's less space on the newsfeed for organic reach and pages are getting less organic reach every time because ultimately they want you to pay for everything. So um, what that means in practice is like, it's really, it's a lot more difficult now on Facebook than ever before. But happily, there are other media, other platforms where you can get really good organic reach without already having a community because ultimately you have to build a community to get organic reach on on Facebook, if you're just, I mean, you know, your community for most people who are on Facebook is the fam, their friends and family who are following them. They share something mm. on your feed, you'll get likes, and that'll get a certain amount of reach. Uh, but if you've got a page, for example, you'll struggle a lot. You'll really struggle to get any sort of you'll, to get shown by to anyone. But something like TikTok, which I was very sort of like dismissive of. When it first came out, mainly because I saw my daughter watching it, and the only TikToks she ever showed me were like teenage girls dancing, and I'm like, mm. "What? Wow, that got 15 million views? It's rubbish." <laughs> but now uh, I've been converted in the last like I've got 50,000 followers on TikTok in about six weeks, and wow. uh, that was not all the other stuff I've created. All the other platforms I've cross-posted, so I've promoted Twitter on Facebook, I've promoted Instagram on Facebook, and I've cross-promoted. Mm. But on TikTok, you should. If I was anyone trying to build and get uh, free reach, I would immediately join TikTok. In fact, I'm doing a, a dummy's guide to TikTok at the moment. Not dummy's guide, but like, a, you know, a lot, hardly any businesses on TikTok. Um, probably for the reasons that I've just articulated, that they think it's a teenage kids thing. Um, but it's not actually. There's loads of different types of cool stuff on there. And the you can literally have no followers at all and get like hundreds, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, even millions of views. My biggest video on TikTok has got 7 million views. And that was when I had like 10,000 10, followers. So ultimately to get, you're absolutely right. The whole internet is awash with content. A lot of it is terrible. Uh, how do you rise above the crowd? You have to find a niche and you have to find an audience and you typically have to create your own community. There are places you don't need to do that. You cannot, you can post stuff on, of course, the content has to be good as well, but mm. working on the premise that you know you can create decent content, you have to have a place where you get organic reach, unless you want to pay. 
Um, so if I was starting out on a podcast and I had no community, I would go and definitely go on TikTok. I would also consider something like Reddit because Reddit, you don't need to have a community. There's a community already there. I also have a, a subreddit on uh, Reddit with 15 million followers. So I've been on there for 10 years. Um, so it's another very long answer, but in practical tips, you need to make sure the content you have is relevant for your audience, obviously. And there are loads of, you know, it's very easy to find ways of doing that. I mean, for you, for example, a simple thing we'd do to take like clips from your podcast, like mm. one, two sentence clips or make them into quotes, use the channels of your guests. So for example, you know, you've, I will be promoting this podcast on my channels because you've had me as a guest. So typically I would find guests who've got big social channels and communities themselves. Um, and I would take quotes from the podcasts. Uh, I would showcase the guests in different ways, little infographics, and then I would share it on communities that are already established. Mm. That's another really long answer. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's fine. The other thing that I, that I see a lot is that there's a lot of content, but there's a lot of content that is chasing uh, quantity, like the number of, of followers instead of chasing like the, the quantity, the, the, the quality, sorry. Because at the end of the day, you don't want to have, you, you want to have followers while you're part of your audience, right? Mm -hmm. that's that's the best but i see a lot of people like claiming that they reach like one one million uh, followers or and or 10 millions and you have like so many courses about how to get your next 20 million followers yeah, on, yeah, on, yeah. on social yeah, media it's crazy that's very true and of course you might you know i mean ultimately it depends on your audience and what you're trying to achieve it's absolutely true that you, it's far better to have a Facebook page with 10,000 engaged followers than a Facebook page of 100,000 followers, of which like 1% care. I mean, right. people, there are many places you can go to buy followers, which is the worst thing you can do because ultimately those followers are useless. They won't engage your content. And, they, and it tells, and you, the algorithm of which we're all governed by will look at the fact that your engagement rate is low compared to your followers and it will show, show your content to less people. So absolutely, it's absolutely true that the quality of your followers is obviously really important. Um, and it's a lot better to have an engaged smaller audience than a massive audience of people who don't engage at all. Of course, the best thing to do, best is to have, a, like I have, which is a massive audience of people who are really super engaged. So, um, but it also works in terms of like driving traffic. You know, I can post stuff on my pages and get, I can drive shitloads of traffic to the technical term, shitloads of traffic <laughs> <laughs> to my, um, to various sites. Um, but ultimately, uh, if that website is there to sell a specific thing, like for example, my, I have a very finished problem shop that in itself is now quite a profitable business. Um, and I can send as many people there as I want, because I know if they've gone there from very finished problems, the likelihood is they would, they know very finished problems and they might want to buy very finished problems merchandise. But if I was selling, I don't know, like table, or I was selling tables or, or, or glasses, I was selling glasses uh, there's no point me sending 100,000 people there who are not interested in glasses. Mm. So it depends on what you're doing. I mean, you know, ultimately quality is always better than quantity uh, unless the quantity of potential customers. Right. Another really long answer. Okay, that is fine. <laughs> what about content? You said you have to create like great content. So that's, that's what you do. You create content. So can you take us through how you actually create that content. How, how do you get the ideas and what makes creative content? 
Yeah, well, totally. I mean, we, it's quite a long... I mean, if, for example, a client comes to us and asks that question, the first thing we do is we will... I mean, we're at, we'll create a content strategy. And that basically looks at... Most importantly, look, the first thing we do is we look at their audience. So who mm. are the people they're trying to reach? Uh, and then we'll create like a buyer persona, which is, in effect, a character. We'll create a character. It'll be an amalgamation of, the, of all their customers to get a sense of... Who are we writing for? Who's going to be reading this? Who's going to be engaging with it? What are we trying to get them to do? So we, we research. It's a, lot, it's a lot of research done beforehand. We basically research where these pe- who these people are, what they, even you know, their demographics, what they like, what, they, what, what their lifestyle is like. So in our heads, we'll create this person. And even ideally, we'll interview some of these people, real customers, so we'll know what they're trying to achieve and where they then we try and find out where they where they congregate online where they congregate online both professionally and in their like just everyday life um what the challenges they are what are the questions they're asking when they're online what are they googling you know what are they trying to find out what are the pain points what are the things that how we can help them and then once we found out because ultimately once you found out you know like uh, the list of things that people are trying to find online then you can create content around those those things. Like you could find out 10 problems they have. Um, so that's the first thing. And then once we've done that, we will try and find out the places these people live on. But once you've created, once you've found out your audience is absolutely the first point, then you create a content uh, calendar or a list of content you think is appropriate to them based upon that research. So you've got that. So then you create that and it, um, then you find where they are online and how to reach them. Because there's no point going through all these processes and then creating content and them never seeing it. So the content itself is like, you know, you can literally take one problem, like, and you could create a whole campaign revolving around that. Um, right. So but the first thing is put yourself into your customer's shoes, understand, yeah. understand who they are, do your, do your homework. Yeah, find out what they want, because, you know, ultimately every single day, people going, you and I go online, whenever I have a question about anything I'm doing in my life, first thing I do, is I go to Google and I Google that question. What and then I'll get and you know that's where SEO comes in and ranking, mm. et cetera, et cetera. So ultimately, but the first thing before you even worry about create getting that content in front of the right people is to understand what your audience are doing online in both professional and in like everyday life. Because there's no re- you can still target people when they're not at work. I mean, you know, I buy things online when I'm not at work. Let's go back to your entrepreneurship journey. If you have uh, like a big look at it, what lessons have you learned along the way? Um, yeah, it's true. I mean, I mean, I definitely think um, you need to be super focused on on why you're doing it because I mean, there are very many. There are times. There have been times where I'm like, I would really like to resign from my own company. <laughs> <laughs> And just, do you yes. know what I mean? Just get a job where I don't have to be, particularly in my role, like creative director, and in effect being the person. Um, and we get a lot of. I mean, the way our business runs is we get a lot of business through reputation and word of mouth. Um, but then there's also, if you want to get new clients, obviously you've got to go and pitch them. I and mean, I love. I, I mean, I, I don't. That's one of the things that COVID's been most frustrating for. I mean, I actually love pitching and I love coming up with ideas and I love getting people excited. And I love meeting new people and hearing their challenges. I'm really, I'm genuinely like a very, really curious person in terms of like any sort of company. I really like to go to any company, regardless of what they do and discover how they work. I mean, from, you know, you can go to, I've been to companies who make like, make 
metal pipes and they'll go oh our company's really boring we just make metal pipes and i go well how do you make those metal pipes and then you find out this amazing machinery that just bends and you start getting them talking about how they make these metal pipes and the characters who make it and the, the old man who's been making metal pipes for 50 years and you, you, know, you can find out all these stories mm. and like you unearthly and they're, they're like oh yeah that is because typically when you work in a company it Inevitably, if you work in a company every day, then the company becomes every day and it loses its magic and you think it's boring. But so when you have an outsider come in and look at it differently and sort of then they themselves appreciate how how like, you know, interesting their company could be to their clients. So, uh, yeah, be curious and stay super focused. I think it's really important to be good at sales as well, or to at least mm. have an understanding of sales. I mean, of course, you can delegate, always delegate sales. But I think the 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 most passionate salespeople uh, are the ones who genuinely believe in the business they're doing. So if you've got a sales background, or even if you, even if you haven't got a sales background, I always think sales is such a useful life lesson. I mean, if you bear it down to its absolute essentials, it's, it's being able to get people to do what you want, which is, a really, <laughs> which is a really useful life skill and doing that in a way that everyone comes out as a winner. I mean, that's always been a, like a, a big philosophy that like that everyone should win. My clients, mm. we should win. My clients should win. Their clients should win, and our audience should win. So, like you know, and I think a good sales, good sales person makes everyone feel good when when a, when a deal is done. So yeah, I mean, stay focused, and it needs to be something you love because you know you'll be doing you'll be doing this all the time. So monetizing your passion is is definitely something worth considering, and also recruiting the right people. I mean. That is such a big deal, which I didn't really think about. I mean, our company grew really like unstrategically. I mean, I just have people <laughs> come into my office and say, "Can you give me a job, please?" And I'll be like, "I'll be like, well, what can you, what can you do? Well, I can write a bit, and if I don't get a job next week, I'll get deported." I was like, "Okay, well, come on in then." <laughs> <laughs> so I, I gave a lot of people because I was in that situation. So often I would rec- I've recruited from my heart rather than my head, and a lot of people, mm. you know, there's a lot of people I think who've come and work for us who've then gone on left or gone and gone basically who've, who would, whose whole life would have been different if they hadn't have worked for us because they wouldn't have had to be able to stay in Finland and subsequently they'd become very skilled and left and got other jobs etc so but if you you know I think recruiting from there you have to be more ruthless in recruitment and you know even one person if you get one person wrong that can totally screw up everything yeah I think and delegation is another thing so a lot of lessons and I'm learning every day actually often learning things I shouldn't have done. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's a journey. Entrepreneurship is a journey. Absolutely, absolutely. What are you the most proud of? Well, I'm quite proud of Bill Ink Tank. I mean, it's both my wife and I, she was like CEO and she's also a copywriter, a very talented journalist and stuff. So we started off basically the two of us with a network of freelancers and um, we sort of built it up to like 10 people. Um, so I was quite proud of that. I mean, I, I think basically, I think it's proud of the fact we've managed to build it up despite being like, yeah, not strategic in terms of the way we recruited or very, just it sort of built organic. It almost grew despite us. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah. It was like, it was, it was based upon our own sort of, the fact that uh, I think we were very well regarded. I mean, we always get lots of love and you can even see that if you go to the, our website. I mean, I'm very big on, uh, our clients speaking for us so it's full of quotes about how much they like working with us and the and the things we've done for them so i'm quite proud of the fact that we've come up with lots of cool stuff i probably i mean also like i mean the very first problem thing which started as a started as a bet i'm quite proud of the of of creating a like you know an online business from nothing 
in two years. We're now to like 100 grand turnover for a shop, which is an online shop, which I think is you know, pretty decent. Um, and of course the books. I mean, basically my books are probably, and ultimately I really see myself as sort of like a, a writer who, who does business rather than a businessman who writes. Although it's often I'm not really perceived as that. Um, and currently, you know, my wife's now currently working on a, a children's book. I'm dusting off my old novel. So we're using the COVID time to, to focus once again back on our sort of creative stuff. Uh, um, yeah, but not like putting the business to one side, but you, you can't really grow a business as as we typically grew it in the past because it typically involves us going out, meeting, mm. pitching, and it's just like, so yeah, so that's another long waffly answer. But if I had to summarize, building a business, building a social media brand and writing three books are the things I'm proud of. Right. Putting aside my children, of course, in case they can hear me. <laughs> <laughs> I've been I've been listening to you for like 30 minutes now and I have the impression that you you kept on reinventing yourself. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's definitely the case. And it's interesting actually cuz I yeah, I'm a bit older than you and um I'm now I was I think this year has been definitely been a year of sort of self-reflection. Um and what do I want to do with my life? I'm really privileged. I've had a wonderful life. I mean, I've like I've lived in Canada, I've lived in Peru, I've lived in Finland, I've traveled around the world. I've seen amazing things, I've done amazing things, I've met amazing people and I've been very lucky. And I now I realize I've got a finite amount of time on this earth and I'm just like, do I want to do, you know, am I fulfilling what I wanted to do with my life? I mean, I sort of stumbled into what I'm doing and it was a happy accident that I'm doing what I, what I do now. But like, yeah, I mean, definitely, I don't want to sort of like, I don't, I don't feel the need to carry on growing something like massively i don't feel like i need to carry on growing ink tank and then sell it for example i'd mm. rather just pivot and do something that's like less stressful uh, and more sort of rewarding for myself so i'm doing for example at the moment we're doing a lot more like uh, very finished problems has now been made into an audio book and there's a lot of stuff about i've been talking to production companies about very finished problems going on to going on tv um and expanding the very finished problems brand and just doing more sort of like not entertainment stuff but like moving a little bit in that direction so mm. Because what I do is, does, it was a bit of a crossover in that anyway, creativity on the business side and the entertainment side. So yeah, because otherwise it gets boring, doesn't it? Ultimately, I'm quite easily bored. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to have, I don't want to, I realise that every day is a day that I will never get back. So I want to be, make my life as entertaining as possible and as riching as possible and as many new experiences as possible. And in COVID times where literally the whole year is like one never ending Sunday that just blurs in days blur, that's more challenging. So I think reinvention, and I'm not even sure, I'm not sure reinvention is great for entrepreneurship. But it's good for my own personal mental health. So is that the legacy you want to leave behind you? Like seen as the man who reinvented himself all the time. <laughs> I don't know, actually. I had never really thought about that. Well, well, I mean, I think in terms of a legacy, I mean, I, one of the things I like about the writing books is that they are, they basically, the parts of my personality go into those. And I, the first book I wrote was a short story collection, and I, it's 10 years old now. And I was really very, very, very focused on fiction. Uh, and I was winning lots of awards, had my stuff on BBC Radio. I had this book out. I had an agent. I had a novel that was like half finished. And I was well into that. And then I had a child, Elliot, thank you, who was wonderful, but didn't sleep for two years. <laughs> <laughs> so I had no time. I had to provide for my family rather than write fiction, basically. Mm. And so uh, then I did the two, two very finished problems books. 
And non-fiction is, for me, far, far easier to do than fiction, in the sense that non-fiction is just me speaking on paper. Um, so I did those quite easily. And that carried on my sort of, carried on my desire to write books. Um, but now, even when I, even though they're old, those books, uh, they still, I still get a pleasure out of sending them out. I, people can buy them online. Even now I'm shipping another 10 today. I mean, you could buy, the, they're still, you know, you can buy them in shops as well, but I sell them all around the world. And the fact that people are getting this book and they're, they're opening up and there's my voice speaking to them in countries all around the world. Um, and I even like the sort of the physical, ironically, I really like the physical nature of books. I mean, I work mm. in a very digital realm where everything's digital, so it's not tactile. You can't smell it. You can't hold it. So I really like the book as an object. Um, so, yeah, as a legacy, I probably think, you know, when I'm long gone, my books, tattered and battered as they may be, will still be scattered around the world. So I probably I would probably say books are my and the, and the sort of joy and the pleasure, hopefully, the smiles they put on people's faces, that's like, and a little bit of education, educating them, inspiring them maybe, and mainly entertaining them. All right, beautiful. Gitos Balion, merci beaucoup. Take your 20 years of experience all combined, what is the one recommendation that you would give to entrepreneurs? Oh, that's a great question. I think it really, I think it's like, I don't think you can, because being an entrepreneur, it can't, I mean, of course it depends. There's many different types of entrepreneur. Mm. I mean, my father was an entrepreneur. He had his own like building company. And so I saw that from as, as a child, the highs and lows. But I think, um, uh, I think if you really want to go on that path, you've got to be, you've got to be uh, enthusiastic about, you have to be very, very passionate about what you're doing because you'll be doing it all the time. It's not like a nine to five. It's like, a, you know, you can be, you can be a 20 hour a day job. So you need to, there's no point being an entrepreneur and doing something just for the money. It has to be a passion as well. So ultimately, I would find something that I'm passionate about and try and monetize it. That's what I did. And I think that's, that's the best path um, to a successful entrepreneurship. But then saying that, I mean, you look at startups and startup world, which I have really mixed feelings about startups. I've worked with lots of them and I, I'm always amazed by their sort of like idealism and their and their, their passion and their enthusiasm, but I'm always regularly distraught by their la lack of uh, focus on money. <laughs> it's just like, mm. to me, it'll be like, uh, I'll be like, well, how do you make any money about from this? Go, Don't worry about that. We're just gonna grow our community and then we're gonna monetize it. I'm like, mate, I've been trying to monetize communities for the last 10 years and it's not quite that easy. <laughs> <laughs> Which is yeah. why you have 95% of startups failing. I mean, you have those two categories of like, 95% of startups failing and they're all trying to help each other out like there's some big buddy community. And then you have 5% of startups who make billions. And even those who make billions don't necessarily make it. They get given it. I mean, you look at someone like Uber, he's never made a single cent of profit in his life. So mm. there are loads of startups like that. So I think to be, a, I, so in that sense, it's probably very controversial, but I don't see startups as a traditional entrepreneurial sort of business. I see them as something separate, but like they do have that passion, but they don't necessarily know how to monetize it or, monetization is not necessarily at the forefront. I think you need to have the passion and the sort of hunger to make some cash. Mm. That's equal, equally as important. Okay, well noted. Last Thanks question. <laughs> <laughs> Last question. How can people contact you? Uh, I'm, I'm everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but like if they want to talk to you directly. Uh, well, Joel, we can email me, joel at inktankmedia.fi is but yeah i mean i'm online on lots of different channels people i get a lot of people contact me on the very fish problems instagram you can contact any very fish problems channels they'll get to me eventually so 
All right. Well, Joel, thank you very much for your time today. Well, thank you. Kiitos paljon. Merci beaucoup. It's a pleasure. And sorry if I went on and on and on for my simple answers. No, it's fine. You're like every other guest. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you all for listening. If you like this podcast, please share your favorite episode on social media so we can inspire as many entrepreneurs as possible. See you next time. Bye-bye.